Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. The Middle East has been going through tumultuous times for quite some decades. As we begin 2021, there are still many challenges left for the countries in the Middle East, for the people in the Middle East, and again, beyond the Middle East as well. Uh, We are going to start this uh, program, TV7 Middle East uh, Review, with uh, looking at uh, the challenges and opportunities that we may have this uh, month and also projections for next month. I am Ambassador Zani Ayalon, and with me, uh, co-host of uh, TV7 Middle East Review, with me is uh, Colonel uh, Reserve Ran Lerman, Professor Ran Lerman, who... uh, will co-host the program with me. He's the VP of uh, the JISS, Jerusalem Institute of Strategy and Security, also a distinguished lecturer at the Shalem College and former Deputy National Security Advisor of the State of Israel with um, and, and a veteran of the IDF uh, intelligence branch of uh, 20 years. Shalom, Iran. And um, let's start with the first topic that you think is the most uh, significant for the region and perhaps beyond uh, of the last month. Ambassador Ayalon, Danny, thank you for the opportunity to be uh, part of this initiative. I think the entire region, all players, Israel, its friends, its enemies, its rivals, all were riveted in uh, January to the drama unfolding in Washington. First, the almost uh, incredible sight of the assault on the Capitol on the 6th of uh, January. And then two weeks later, uh, despite all that has happened, the orderly inauguration of a new administration. And of course, immediately the questions arising, what, what will be the policy of this administration on the key questions that we face? What will be its orientation towards the Iranian challenge, not just the nuclear challenge, also the regional um, subversion of the Iranian regime. What will be its policy on the Israeli-Palestinian question? How will it reorient American policy in the Eastern Mediterranean, which has been fairly incoherent in the Trump era? All of these, of course, have immense implications for each and every player in the region. And of course, Iran, the ballistic missile testing that the Iranians continue Indeed. to employ. Yes, the Iranian question actually is three questions. Above all, the nuclear question, the nuclear challenge, the ballistic missile challenge, which would give the Iranians the capacity to carry a nuclear warhead, not only to Israel, but possibly also to Europe and points beyond. And this regional subversion, uh, which gives the Iranians leverage, but is also the ultimate purpose of the entire revolutionary drive. All of this makes the Iranian question central to what's about to happen. And as we, uh, something which is very much related to the Iranian uh, problem is maybe one of the first uh, decisions that uh, President Biden took upon his uh, entry to the White House, and that is to suspend the uh, huge uh, mega uh, weapon deal, uh, arms deal with the Emirates, which has just uh, made peace with uh, Israel. And uh, part of the package of the the peace was this arms deal, uh, mainly of F-35, the stealth uh, jet fighters to the Emirates right now. This has been suspended. What does that mean for the Emirates? Uh, what are the signals for Iran? How will this affect 
the, the region uh, landscape. From, uh, from an Israeli perspective, but also ob obviously from the perspective of uh, the key players in the Gulf, uh, this could be the beginning of a very problematic approach if it translates into a hold on support for Saudi Arabia and the UAE in the war they are fighting against Iranian proxies in Yemen. I think uh, the uh, difficulties that have been um, on the horizon within the Democratic Party uh, which the new administration has to take into account, focus on that war, which is a brutal war. Both sides are uh, playing uh, uh, by no rules whatsoever. Uh, children are dying, people are starving. And uh, this situation, of course, uh, is understandably problematic. At the same time, if this becomes a, a, an opportunity for Iran to end up victorious in a key strategic position, which controls the passages uh, to, from the uh, Red Sea to the Arabian Sea and the Indian Ocean, basically uh, the, the sea connections between Asia and Europe, um, that, that could have immense strategic consequences. So um, if the suspension is just a, a proper step to evaluate the situation to take uh, inputs in an orderly fashion uh, from the various elements of the administration, uh, Defense Department, uh, State Department, National Security Council, the intelligence community, and then make a, a new decision, that's okay. It's a normal procedure for a new administration coming in, facing a huge deal. Yeah, uh, we've noticed that- if not, that we are facing a, a challenge. Yeah, the Emirates themselves have played it down, saying that this is a normal procedure with the uh, transition, and it's just undergoing review as a routine uh, issue by the new uh, administration. Uh, Iran, very interestingly, was kept very quiet. It seems like Iran, uh, since uh, Biden took office, uh, has uh, been trying to be on its best behavior, uh, waiting probably to use all its political uh, credits and munitions for... Uh, the uh, negotiations with uh, the Americans and uh, knowing the Iranians, I know it's going to be a very grueling and roundabout road on the brink a lot of times. And everybody in the region is going to look at that because I think the results of this uh, test uh, of wills, if you will, between the United States and uh, Iran will affect the entire region. Uh, it may bolster the uh, the radical uh, Islamist uh, uh, front, whether it's uh, the Houthis in uh, Yemen, in uh, uh, yes, in Yemen, or uh, the uh, radical uh, Islamist in of uh, ISIS, and of course Hezbollah and Hamas. Or will this axis or this alliance uh, for peace that Trump in his last days uh, has carved will prevail? But this brings me to maybe the second topic, which is, I think, is very important, what has, last, uh, has passed in uh, the last uh, month, and this is Iran vis-a-vis -vis Israel. Right. Very interestingly, Lieutenant General uh, Kohavi, the chief, uh, of course, uh, the, the commander and chief of staff of the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces. And the former head of DMI, of the military intelligence, who is a man with a knowledge of the oh, region. Right. He has made a very, very, um, I would say, sharp um, message 
to Iran, that Israel will not allow the Iranians to become nuclear, that uh, the JCPOA, the nuclear deal with Iran, was not sufficient, was not good, has to be changed. So it seems like there is a dual message here, both to the Iranians and also to the United States, the Biden administration, and he ended, and this is something with uh, um, uh, Iran, maybe you can elaborate more, he ended with saying that he instructed, I think this is something which is unprecedented, he was saying he instructed the IDF to restart operational plans to uh, to uh, attack Iran if needed. Indeed. Um I would say, first of all, uh, this is in continuation of things that he's already initiated over the, la- over the last f- first years of his uh, term of command, uh, creating a strategic command, which is everybody calls the Iran command of the IDF, separate from the northern, central, and southern commands and the rear areas command. It's a specialized and the importance, in, command. The importance of this is shown by the figurehead, which is a major general ahead yes. of this command. Yes, it is at the same level of, of the other operational commands of the IDF. So it's a, uh, a signal in itself that planning is underway to create what I would call um, a CMT, credible military threat. I think that's an initial that we are going to learn to live with. Now, interestingly, first of all, there's a a raging debate now, and and both my former commanders in the DMI, uh, General Amos Gilad, and my colleague at the JISS, uh, General Amidor, Yaakov Amidor, have taken opposite positions. Uh, General Gilad says, don't insult an American administration. General Amidor says, don't engage with an American administration without the capacity to also retain a credible military threat in the, the out there visible to all. And the reason is that even in the, the, America, the Obama administration, in its first four years, and I, I draw a fairly sharp line between Hillary Clinton and John Kerry in this respect, uh, wanted Israel to be um, credible in terms of a military option. Uh, when we spoke to the Chinese, and we did this in full coordination mm-hmm. with the first term Obama administration, we told them, look, we are not go- you're not going to have the choice between the pleasant relationship you have now with the Iranians and sanctions. You have the choice between voting for sanctions and a war, because we are not going to let the Iranians have the bomb. And that was sharp, clear, and the, and the Chinese, lo and behold, not only did not they did not abstain. They voted for UN Security Council Resolution 1929, the sanctions. So the uh, credible military threat has to be out there, independent of American will. Because if it is dependent on American will, it's not credible. Actually, to, to support that view that with Iran, you always have to have a credible uh, military threat is that uh, the only time the Iranians voluntarily suspended their nuclear, uh, you know, uh, military nuclear um, plan was in 2003 when they were flanked on both sides by the Americans, especially after the operation in Iraq to uh, oust Saddam Hussein. Uh, There was a notion that Iran may be next and they stopped it altogether. Then that they saw that, you know, the quagmire of Iraq is really sinking and the Americans in... 
they restarted. And, and the American intelligence, elements in the American intelligence community undermined the American credibility of threat by releasing the famous national intelligence estimate in 2007, which we know was faced, based on faulty analysis. I think it was politically uh, probably motivated and not based on facts on the ground. That is, I would say, by now confirmed by, uh, for example, the evidence procured by Israel. Yeah, I remember at that the, time uh, I was in, the archive. in Washington, D.C., and I can tell you towards the last year of uh, the Bush administration, there was such a fatigue about uh, Iraq. Uh, Bush, I know it uh, firsthand, was very much disappointed by his own lieutenants, by his own senior advisors for actually not carrying through Iraq in the way that he thought. You know, the Owen shock, uh, uh, the uh, shock and, and awe uh, operation was great. But later on, what they did was a fiasco. And I remember we were, as Israelis, told them our experience is do not disband the Iraqi, Iraqi military. military. Yeah, that was they thought, and Condoleezza Rice, a good friend of mine, which was a secretary of state, she had in mind the model of Germany Indian after Japan, World War II yes. and Japan to disband and start new. This was not the case because everybody ran away to all the uh, tribes with all the weapons, and we exactly. know what happened. In, in, the very, in the one sentence, the difference between Iraq, Germany, and Japan is that Germany and Japan were countries. Whereas Iraq, like most of our neighbors in the region, with the sole significant exception of Egypt, right. are artificial creations. Amalgam of tribes, of nationalities, of different creeds and different religions. Yes, we know. Indeed. We know like in Iraq, you have the Sunnis, the Kurds, and the Shiites. In all of these places, in Iraq itself is torn apart. The Iranians are meddling. In Yemen, they are meddling through the agency of an uprising. In Lebanon, they are using Hezbollah. Syria is blowing apart. In Libya, where the Iranians are less significant, but others are using this as a battlefield. Again and again, you see this uh, pattern of, of uh, broken up identities playing out, and it will be a major challenge. Right. And these broken down identities is what uh, I think plays favorably for Iran, because Iran is using all the cracks, you know, the, uh, the intra-national uh, uh, divides and the religion divides and the tribal divides, and this is what allows them to be uh, such a significant and almost successful force in the subversion. The Houthis, you know, in, in Yemen, uh, in Libya, all those uh, uh, gangs of, uh, of, of radical uh, Islam and, and weapons. Uh, we see it in Lebanon, we see it in Syria, and of course, uh, in Iraq, we already mentioned. Uh, let's shift to another um, area in the Middle East, which is also very important, and I think also uh, took a significant attention for the last month, and this is the uh, Eastern Basin of the Mediterranean. Indeed. And the, the power struggle there between Turkey on the one hand, Egypt, the Emirates on the other hand, and of course, uh, we have uh, the Europeans involved through Cyprus and, uh, Greece. and Greece, and of course, Israel, as well, and it's all hovered around the fairly newly uh, discovered natural oil fields. Gas. Which, and gas fields, which are very, very significant over there. Uh, interestingly, uh, in Libya, we are now looking at an, ex uh, an attempt 
to bring the war to some kind of conclusion through a political process led by the UN uh, until, until January uh, uh, it was led by an American diplomat, uh, Stephanie Williams, now uh, uh, Slovak, a former f- Slovak foreign minister who's been a coordinator in, in Lebanon and before that in Iraq and Afghanistan. So he has some mileage. A, trouble, a troubleshooter yeah. <laughs> of, uh, par excellence is now going to go to Libya to see what can be done. Uh, let me say this. Um, again, credible military threat. Turkey intervened in Libya and shifted the balance of power in favor of the Islamist, so Muslim Brotherhood dominated uh, government in Tripoli. Uh, and and in, in, there are also internal tensions within that government. But in any case, they shifted the balance. And then the Egyptians said, if this government continues to advance eastwards and to try and take the lands of uh, controlled by Haftar and uh, Egypt's allies, the, gov- the so-called House of Representative government in Benghazi or in Tobruk, then Egypt is going to intervene militarily. And the Egyptians have formidable ground, f- ground forces that can go into Libya on a, day, on, on a moment's notice. So that, I think, brought the balance. And the balance produced a diplomatic opportunity. So diplomatic opportunities uh, need uh, a military background, uh, as, as you know, Clausewitz and Bismarck knew. Uh, the, the bottom line is um, Erdogan may be looking at a real check on his neo-Ottoman projects and ambitions. He did well uh, supporting the Azeris in Nagorno-Karabakh. So, did, by the way, Israel also supported them because Iran is our first priority and they are uh, uh, an important friend on the Iranian border. But uh, on other issues in the Eastern Mediterranean, facing the, the new coalition that includes the EMGF countries, Israel, Greece, Cyprus, Egypt, even Jordan, the Palestinians, Italy, France will be joining this year. And the UAE is an observer of the EMGF, the Eastern Mediterranean Gas Forum, which is an international organization. This is all new. I mean, People are not often paying attention. Here's a new regional organization with Israel as a legitimate uh, and strategically important player. This is not the role of Israel that Obama uh, met when he came into power in in 2009. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, the Biden administration is meeting an Israel which is a major strategic player, both in the Eastern Mediterranean and uh, and this with, Iran, the, think, with the Gulf players. I think, Iran, this is thanks to a very uh, bold and maverick uh, policies uh, by the Trump administration. Um, Obama, I believe, was trying to marginalize Israel in the region. He also skipped in her, his first uh, visit to the region in Cairo and Saudi Arabia. He skipped Jerusalem. He skipped Israel, uh, which really uh, marred the relationship for the entire uh, eight years Uh, between him and Netanyahu, and of course, uh, there was erosion of uh, trust uh, altogether. I think the situation now is different. There are people in key positions in the administration with strong links to Israel, but that's true for Austin, uh, the new Secretary of Defense, who was uh, Chief of CENTCOM, and well before Israel was moved into CENTCOM at the last- major, major move. Major step by the uh, departing administration. 
But even before that, the relations between CENTCOM and Israel became very, very solid because we need each other. And so uh, as former commander of CENTCOM, he knows the uh, Israeli military leadership well. Uh, Tony Blinken is uh, the uh, stepson of uh, a Holocaust survivor. He understands Israel's concerns. He spoke eloquently about uh, the, the significance of all of this. And um, moreover, there is not, uh, I think, the animus that you, you had uh, back in the early uh, month of the first Obama administration will not be there. However, I don't expect a Biden visit anytime soon for the simple reason that Israel is uh, in the throes once again for the fourth time in two years of an election campaign. And I don't think the Americans want to be put in a situation where every nuance and comma and column and dot uh, could be interpreted as intervention in Israeli political affairs. So uh, we need to await the results. Absolutely. And um, uh, still staying on this uh, Eastern Mediterranean basin, Turkey, of course, we mentioned, is a key figure. Uh, Turkey is also recalculating its uh, uh, path. Um, Erdogan had very close relationship with uh, with Trump, uh, which allowed him to hide a lot of the uh, human rights violations. You know, in Turkey today, there are more um, journalists which are incarcerated in jail than even in Iran, uh, which is to, to, of course, to the condemnation and chagrin of all the European countries. There is a kind of a balance of threats between Turkey and the Europeans, as uh, on the one hand, Turkey is the buffer uh, against this uh, immigration of many and refugees and they use from it, the east. And, and they, use, they hang it over the heads of the Europeans yeah. as, a, as a strategic weapon. And on the other hand, right, they are very bold against two uh, members of NATO and the European uh, Union, which is Cyprus. No, Cyprus is a member of the Union, right. but not of NATO. And but Turkey is a member of NATO and not of the European Union. And Greece but is a member of uh, NATO yeah. and the European Union. Indeed. And in that and respect... France is in the game. And of course France. And what the... Um, you, you know, by the way, the, uh, the bizarre result of this Cypriot-Turkish uh, situation is that the two great organizations in Brussels can barely speak to each other. From downtown... Uh, Brussels, uh, uh, the European mm-hmm. Union, mm-hmm. Uh, to Avere, the headquarters of, of NATO, there's basically no communication because the Turks prevent communications with an organization that Cyprus sits in yes. and vice versa. And so I think it's, it's ironic. There, and I, and uh, uh, there is no procedure to throw a yes. member of NATO out. Yes, I think and it was very telling that Biden, one of his first calls was to Stoltenberg, Jan Stoltenberg, the secretary general of NATO. I think this is also a signal exactly. to, uh, to Turkey. But uh, as uh, we are wrapping up the month, we see that uh, nothing has changed in, in the Middle East. Uh, it's more of the same tumult. A crisis which is ongoing and very hard uh, uh, to predict, especially when we have a new uh, uh, administration. Going forward, forward for the next month, I would say uh, probably we have a few things that we uh, should look at and probably we will visit them uh, in our next uh, uh, program of the... You know TV what's 7? the definition of an expert? A guy who can tell you what's going to happen and then explain eloquently <laughs> why it didn't. <laughs> but <laughs> yes. I should hope so, we will be better, we'll so, do better than that. So, Iran, as we look into the next month, I would say probably we'll have to look at the, the cementing of the Biden administration. 
Indeed. And whether there will be already some reaching out to Iran, uh, whether they're going to bring up the Palestinian issue, which conspicuously is absent from uh, any international agenda. Quite uh, interesting, and I'm sure at uh, well, one point we'll have to uh, dedicate a whole program for that. The Palestinians have lost their leverage. Uh, they no longer control the reactions of the Arab world to Israel. So the game is a new game. Mm -hmm. And they will have to play by new rules, and Israel will have to play by right, new rules. Right. So we'll have to see in the next month how uh, the U.S. plays its cards, as it's and how, uh, Iran, plays and its how Iran will play its cards, uh, how Israel will play its cards, Palestinians, and of course we have to remember in, in Israel that uh, we have also upcoming elections in, uh, on the 23rd of March, which also looms large over Israeli politics, so I'm not sure that there's going to be any kind of a uh, bold moves but, uh, from Israel. But I would say to wrap up, I think that uh, Israel today is in a totally different strategic situation. We are now a central power, a regional power in the Middle East with alliances both to the West with uh, NATO powers like uh, Greece and, uh, of course, with Cyprus of the Union and, of course, in the Gulf, in the Arab Gulf, a.k.a. Persian Gulf, also with the Sunni Arab countries there, uh, first and foremost Saudi Arabia, which is in the back. We don't have formal relations with, uh, with them yet, but, but I think this is very, very um, and, important. And of course, to, uh, the, the Emirates, uh, F-35s or not, are a major player, a country with uh, a trillion dollars in sovereign funds is not to be trifled with. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think this bodes well. So we see Iran uh, and our dear viewers that uh, the Middle East is continuing to be uh, in the news, uh, continuing to have challenges, some opportunities, and we just hope that the opportunities will outweigh the challenges. So until next month and until our next uh, TV7 uh, monthly review, I want to thank our viewers. I want to thank you, uh, Iran, for co-hosting here. Uh, we always uh, enjoy your wisdom and your experience. Well, it'll be at the end of next month, and then, we shall yes. see what uh, retrospect, right. in retrospect we have been able to predict. Right. So we will be here again at TV7 Middle East Review, and we will meet here in this program at the uh, last uh, weekend of every month. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.